Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. The mortgage now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. You can say that over this rockin' bed we got it here. It makes me want to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, plus it's early, too. Uh-huh. Even though I'm almost 40 now, my voice is still deeper in the morning until uh-huh. I get, get some <laughs> yeah. talking going yeah. on. Yeah. So in the morning, you know, uh, I got that. It's more of that smooth jazz. You're voice. real, that, that yeah. real radiant answer guy. Yeah. Hey, so it's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a while, Jason. It has. Mm-hmm. A run of a two weddings and a funeral. Wait, yeah. no, two funerals and a wedding. Uh-huh. And a birthday. Yeah. It's been quite a month for you then. Been a lot of miles, a lot of running <laughs> around. Yeah. And... Um, you don't feel as good to be here today. And yeah. it also feels strange, too, because next week I'm taking the day off for my wife's birthday. So this is just, <laughs> you're just getting a little a little sprinkling wow. of Jason today. You're just, wow. I'm going to make a quick August appearance and then I'm out of here. <laughs> That's where we are. So, yeah. Wow. Thanks to all the guys that have been covering for me. Yeah. And I just found out this morning that you guys did a rerun yeah, last week. Yeah, we had week, to go into a rerun Which is fine. Last week. That's yeah. fine. I'm not mad. Yeah. <laughs> I think your I think your co-host. I'm not going to say, but I think your co-host that was supposed to have been here would have rather been here. I, I was ready. ready. I was ready to be here. Yeah, I was yeah. very you, prepared. You to and you know, be here. here's yeah. the thing about working like every Saturday morning for years on mm-hmm. end. You get up and you get ready and you go through your thing and you start to get out the door. Um, at that point, it doesn't really matter if you're doing it or not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're already halfway yeah. there, yeah. even yeah. when you get called off. Yeah. Hey, the the co-host isn't going to be able to make it today. Okay. I yeah. would have loved to know that last night. Yeah, last night yeah. would have been yeah. better timing. <laughs> I would have made different plans last night. <laughs> Dan and I think we've slugged it out once. But just the two, two of us times, here, right? Yeah, the Once thought the but, thought but crossed my mind hard. last Saturday. But it's hard. But you know, I had a I had a big uh, yeah. big day planned, so yeah. it was. No, it was just it was a fleeting thought. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe you'd even consider it. Uh, we we did it. I Once feel like twice. I feel like yeah. I can talk a lot more than you can, and there's no yeah. way I want to be. I almost feel like it would be the opposite effect, like. As soon as it's just yeah. me needing to talk, I'm going to be like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm stuck. So, yeah, it was also interesting, you know, putting together my notes for the show today. Because even that process was yeah. felt a little felt bit foreign. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I haven't done this in so long. Uh, and, and some of the stuff that I'd been saving, you know, during the week and stuff, because I'm still at work. But uh, things I'm clipping and saving were like old. They're like, oh, that's three weeks old. That's probably not even worth talking about. Yeah. So anyway, it's great to be here today. 
And it's going to be just just Dan and myself here for the next yeah. two hours. Cool. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Good. Yes. I am excited. All right. Well, we're ready. We're, we we can feel that excitement right now. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> you might need a music bed. We've been brought in new. We've been brought in new furniture for your return here, Dad. Jason, did you notice that? Out not in, in not in this room. Not in this room, but oh no. We'll we'll check it out. We'll check out it out at the, uh, at the. I got it. Jason outbreak. Brody's coming back. We're gonna jazz the place up. I thought when I pulled up and saw the um, stuff out in the the furniture out in the oh we were moving again or whatever. no i figured you guys finally got new carpet but no, no, we, no. no we didn't get the carpet <laughs> not, not yet <laughs> yeah but uh but this is a keep your eyes up i know this is radio but uh for those of you listening along at home this is a leave your shoes on kind of carpet around this place <laughs> this carpet yeah, is rough. yeah talk to the general manager about that and she agrees it's yeah. just getting it done cool mm. Awesome. It's like moving everybody is really a part. Big yeah, problem. and there's a lot big of problem. logistics. Well, and this place is huge. Yeah, it's big. It's a so. lot of lot of furniture to go slamming around. Mm-hmm. Top of my notes, Dan. Where to start? Here's where we'll start. Wells Fargo just can't catch a break. <laughs> Did you see this article this week? No, I didn't. Wells Fargo... Agreed to settle a whistleblower lawsuit this week, paying an additional $108 million. Jeez. This time, the settlement was um, the claim charged that um, Wells Fargo was charging military veterans on VA loans. Oh. Additional and hidden fees. Um. Huh. And then it hid them from the VA. Wells Fargo was charging these fees and then hiding them when they sent the file into um, the Department of Veteran Affairs for um, the guarantee. Hmm. That's interesting. 108 million bucks, too. I couldn't help but wonder, too, how much of the um, money would go back to the borrowers. I sure hope that it does. You know, all of these. Through the recession, we kept seeing this settlement and that fine and this action against this big company. It was, and some of them were huge. We're talking eight, nine hundred million, billion plus dollar settlements. But I don't really know that I met anybody yet um, that got any. Of well, that and money you never back. hear about yeah, where are those funds dispersed? I want to be at a dinner party one night with somebody who's like. The darnest thing happened. <laughs> I got a check for forty grand from Wells Fargo. You know, for a wrongful foreclosure or a seven fake checking accounts or whatever the thing. You know, we we just we hear about all these things, but I never know where the um, whether it actually ends up ever hitting the borrower's pocket. I'm I'm pondering here how how you would go about hiding fees because everything passes through that neutral third party of escrow and they they produce a final closing statement at the end of every transaction which shows all the money that came in and all the money that went out and you know there's definitely there's well, that's one of the biggest benefits of a VA loan is that it does cap well, the allowable charges at essentially 1% of the of the loan amount plus a couple of other fees that are that are customary but 
Um, for the most part, it's you know one percent's the the cap on fees. So it's interesting. How how would one hide a fee? Well, first of all, I mean it, it's fair to They're say just like that um, collecting cash and and just not the, reporting it. To the him? lawsuit started eleven years ago. Mm. So with today's new disclosure requirements. You were um, doing VA loans 11 years ago? <laughs> not many. thought everything was an 80-20. I was thinking about that 80-20 stated, well, stated. And that was back in the era, too, where, um, and this straddled the line of a couple different companies that I was working for at the time, but the VA loans weren't very attractive. Oh. There was an era where, well, you remember you were building rate sheets. The VA loans had a higher interest rate than its equivalent conventional loan. So it was really one of those loans that was great for somebody that had no down payment. But then as soon as the 80-20 came along where the borrower didn't need to make a down payment and didn't need to have mortgage insurance. In fact, I remember a few years back where the VA loans were, um, it would accomplish the same thing of no down payment, but then you had to pay a funding fee, right? So you have a funding fee of, you know, however many percent given the the transaction if the if the veteran had used their entitlement before or not like today if you're using your entitlement for a second third or fourth time we call it a subsequent use fee it's 3.3 percent of the loan amount so if you're getting a four hundred thousand dollar loan your subsequent use fee could be like fifteen thousand bucks just gets tacked into the loan that's a hefty that's a pretty hefty fee Mm -hmm. so if there was any other loan program at equal or better interest rate, you would do that instead of go into that program. Yeah. But, you know, so yeah, it's a little bit hard for us to wrap our mind around because today the disclosures are such that when we start, we basically are giving you a final closing statement at the beginning of the loan. Yeah. And some of the fee categories you're allowed to have up to a 10% tolerance. So if there's a $1,000 escrow fee, it could change by 100 bucks up or down before you have a problem. And then there's a lot of other fees that are zero tolerance. Doesn't get to change at all. Um, you know, And then there are some that can change if there's like a bona fide change of circumstance, like an act of God type of thing. But point being, when you start a loan transaction today, it's pretty darn clear where the fees are going to end up. I mean... It, Maybe you have an extra notary fee because at closing, you know, all of a sudden the co-borrower got rushed to New York on business and we have to hire a second notary. That's a valid change of circumstances going to add 150 bucks for another notary. But you don't you certainly aren't finding additional administrative fees that are popping up in the process. Right. So part of this, I think, is going to be that back then you know, the disclosure process just wasn't so clear. And probably I would hazard to guess what was happening is that some of these fees that were being charged and then just not properly disclosed, right? Right. Or it appears on one form, but not another. And so then you kind of handpick what form you sent into the VA for that final guarantee. Hmm. In any case, it's, um, I think an interesting thing though, um, it's a good reminder today of what some of this regulation has done for us, right? Sure. Um, and there have been some unintended consequences. We could talk a lot about those, but um, when you look at that, you know, people want to have these conversations about whether or not we're under too much regulation. Um, we could have a conversation about that, but we definitely got some regulation that we needed. And yeah. I think this is a good example of it. Yeah. It's, 
it, it should be a confidence builder when when a borrower goes into a loan transaction knowing that that first disclosure when when the loan officer has received six key points of information um, that uh, a disclosure is required to be produced within three days that shows you all the fees on a transaction those fees are what they are and if anything changes like you said there has to be a notice to you right and if it's not noticed within a short period of time of of knowledge of this new information about the loan or this change in your loan, then the lender's not even allowed to. They need to, to absorb it. The, yeah, they have to absorb it, and that's not uncommon, unfortunately, for yeah, us well, on the lending and side. And the nice thing too is that they, in in structuring some of those rules, they they did a good job of making sure that you couldn't just over disclose fees and then dumb them down when you needed to. Right. The practice of just inflating things in the beginning to come down to what it actually is later is no good. Likewise, you don't just get to say, well, we thought your appraisal fee was going to be 250 bucks and it turned out to be 500 bucks. So here's this change of circumstance and it's 500 bucks. Everyone that would look at that would say, nope, it couldn't have been 250 and you know it. That right. was deceptive and we're keeping you there. Um you this, know, it's not to say that an appraisal fee can't change because sometimes they do. And I'm right. sure we have listeners that are listening going, wait, my appraisal fee went up. So here's a scenario where it can. I tell you on that initial disclosure, hey, your appraisal's 500 bucks. Well, the appraisers, they all look at it and they go, you know, this is a 3,000 square foot house that's two miles out of town and it's on seven acres. And it's going to take me the better half of a day to do, you know, extra research and find the comps and put this whole thing together. And so I, I would be willing to do the assignment, but I'm not going to do it for the standard $500 charge. I'm going to do it for six fifty. dollars mm -hmm. And so you say, okay, borrower, are you okay with that? And borrower says, yeah, I'm okay with that. So now we would do a change of circumstance. And the change of circumstance form is going to say that due to the complexity of the assignment, you know, the, the appraiser required additional fee. The borrower approved it. So the fee was 500 And it's really clear. What was it? What is it? And why? It was 500 It is 650 This is why. That goes in the file. It needs to be within three days of learning of the change. So there's a lot about the disclosure process now. And um, making sure that that borrowers just aren't surprised. And that, that I think is probably the biggest thing is that when you're a borrower now, you start a loan, you're going to get a pretty darn good set of fees on exactly what's going to happen. And then when you get down to the end of it, the closing disclosure actually says, compare this to your last loan estimate. Yeah, This should be your opportunity now to make sure that these two things line up and that you actually understand very well, if anything changed, why. Um, and then just to round out that conversation, once you get that closing disclosure, uh, you have to wait three days before you can sign your closing documents. So that the law now, even on a purchase loan, is giving you kind of a, a period to make sure you can have enough time to review where you started and where you finished and, and that you understand everything that changed. Yeah, it's the this new disclosure process has put the burden back on the loan officer to not be lazy. Really, is that's what I think of it. You can't just sit here and produce any old uh, form with fees on it and not think about what you're doing. Yep. You can't just sit here and, and have a standardized fee disclosure, put it out there, and then later say, oh, you know, I forgot to put that uh, HOA condo cert fee on there because th it, this is a condo and it requires this extra form to be filled out and that's 300 bucks like well you knew it was a condo 
then, when we started this transaction. So you don't get to add so it. So you don't get to add that. That's not new information. Right. If there was new information that you didn't know when you produced it in the first place, then you there's a valid change in circumstance. But it, it makes the loan officer have to think about the transaction and think about all the fees that are going to go into it and do a thorough job of, of informing you. So I spent some hours this week doing my continuing education. And um, interestingly enough, they talked a little bit about consumers in the transaction. Um, and that's still... And, and I'm not sure how they gathered these metrics, probably just random sampling through the CFPB, but um, asking consumers whether they felt surprised at the closing table. Did anything surprise you in terms of the charges in your transaction? And this 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 stuff I was reading suggested that, that close to 30% of people still felt surprised. And I kind of... I, I was racking my brain a little bit about that. It's hard for me to imagine that you were really surprised. And, and um, then, you know, at the end of it, you're you're given a sideways look too. Like, how could you be surprised? But And I assume when you say surprised, that's in a negative way. Yeah. Not, not pleasantly surprised. This was in terms of complaints. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I started thinking about that. And I, I think I get it. I think I understand parts where people might be surprised. For example... Um, when you do a refinance loan, you like, you know, and you don't have to answer this question with your details, but what's your mortgage today? <laughs> like the outstanding balance? Yeah. Know? And you have an idea. Sure. And you're going to get within about a thousand bucks, aren't you? Right. <laughs> well, we run it off of your credit report and a credit report has a 30 or 60 day lag. And, and maybe I should say a one or two payment lag because, you know, well, today's the 19th. You can pay your mortgage up to the 15th without being late, right? So some people do. Most of us, I think, pay it on the first because just get it done and tackle it on the first day you can. But um, so anyway, it, it it probably, if we ran your credit today, it probably isn't showing your August payment. Well, if you're an online banker and you have the app on your phone, and most of us are, we can look at it and say, oh, you, you guys have my balance a little bit high. Got it. Well, and sometimes because it's August, maybe the July payment hasn't even posted yet. If you're if your credit, if you're who you have your mortgage with is a little bit slow in reporting, they might just still be reporting the June payment, right? So sometimes people are a little bit like, you know, and this happens especially when we're trying to do a rate and term refi and I'm trying to hit zero. I want to do your loan for your payoff plus your fees and not not have you getting any money back, but also not have you paying anything, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we if we're using, in the beginning, we use the number off the credit report, and then in the end, we get a payoff demand, escrow gets a payoff demand, um, something can change in there. And, and most of the time, it results in the balance being a little bit lower than what we thought. Well, here's another thing that um, happens is that Say we get your payoff demand on August 31st. Well, the payoff demand is going to have interest from August 1 to August 31st on it. That is what you would have paid on September 1. So that interest is actually already accrued. It's not part of that balance that you've seen yet because right. they don't add it. They don't add that interest cost to your balance on the online app until the end of the month, the end of the cycle. So sometimes we get that payoff demand. We're deep into the month. The payment hasn't posted yet. And so now the payoff looks like it's 1500 bucks more than what you think it is. So 
I was going to suggest, as I was, like I said when I started this, I was trying to think of why are people surprised. Well, in that event, you're surprised, and I think it's because your loan officer didn't do a very good job of explaining it to you. It's right. to say, hey, we get this from the credit report. At the end of the transaction, escrow is going to give us a payoff demand. Depending on where the payoff demand falls, there may or may not be interest, but we'll adjust and revisit this then. And again, that's a perfect opportunity for a loan officer to pick up the phone to their customer and say, hey... We're getting down to the end here. Your payoff demand came in. Remember, we talked about this, and this is what's going to happen. And so today, you can either bring in 500 bucks, or I can raise your loan amount by 500 bucks, or you're getting 500 bucks back. And if you really don't want that, I can cut your loan amount by 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Um, so when people say they're surprised, I think that's probably one area where they are. And then the other thing is the impound account. I was just going to say, there. The impound account is an area where there is no tolerance. It's um, if you got a, if you have an impound account, it needs to be funded uh, up front, and there's a schedule based on the month that your loan is closing on how many how many months of taxes we will collect, and then depending on when your insurance is up for renewal, we will collect the appropriate number of months of reserves for that impound account, so right. that there's enough money in there when those bills come due. Um, I could see even in a deceptive fashion where a loan officer may under disclose those items to show lower cash out of pocket or something. And then at the closing table, get it back. I mean, it should just be a schedule. I get these kinds of things where um, somebody comes to me with a quote from another lender and they say, Hey, I'm, I'm rate shopping. You know, I know you guys have good rates. Will you show this, you know, show me your deal. And so I go, sure, when I lay it all out, and they go, well, man, your deal's $3,000 more than mine. And I'm like, uh, it's not possible. <laughs> would you Would you please, you know, can we just lay them both on the table? We'll go through them together. And I can't tell you how many times another lender, be it an internet bank or another um, local-ish bank, will um, have not, not put all of those impound um, charges on there that need to be on there. Like, for example, you said about the homeowner's insurance. Well, homeowner's insurance is usually a one-year thing, right? Yeah. So it renews on the anniversary of buying your home. Whether you pay it in full or you pay it every month, that's when the premium is going to be payable to the insurance company. If you buy your home in November and you're coming to me this month for a refi, I need to collect the whole year because your first payment on the new loan is going to be in November, and we're going to be expected to pay that whole thing at that point. Well, here's the funny thing. If you are you have a current impound account with the loan that we're about to pay off, that money's there. You've been paying it all year. So they're going to end up refunding you, but that doesn't change the fact that I need to have it in the funding for my loan. Right. So you, again, this is where the loan officer has to have a conversation with the borrower and say, hey, look, I'm going to have to charge you this and you can pay it out of pocket or we can finance it. There's pros and cons to both. It's up to you. But in a month or two, your current lender is going to end up giving you a refund of what's in that impound account. So sometimes people say, well, you know what? I'll just write a check for it because then you know I'll take it out of savings. And when I get the refund, I'll throw that in savings. It'll all come out in the wash, right? It does because these are third-party fees. They're not marked up in any way. Mm-hmm. But again, if your loan officer doesn't clearly explain this to you, this could be a cause that makes you feel surprised. Yeah. Wait, what? Why am I? Why am I paying a year worth of homeowners insurance? I already pay that every month, and I have for years, right? 
So that probably is the biggest thing is that I'm sure it's, it's in pounds. It's probably less likely actual deceptive practices and probably more frequently it's just poor communication. It's it's loan officers that are um, forgetting or they just don't take the time. It's laziness. They're not looking at the expiration date of the homeowner's insurance policy and truly thinking about when the first payment is and how well, many months will... And the thing know, that I was going to say about that too, though, is that um, you know some of the online lenders, they got a guy that isn't a mortgage expert. It's a, it's a, you know, and, and maybe, I don't know, I've never done a loan with Quicken online myself. Right. Um, so I, I can't say this with any level of certainty, but I'm only going to guess that you probably don't even have the same person all the way through. Oh, I doubt it. So maybe, maybe it's actually, cause all those charges, they're legitimate and they're right, but somebody should have done a good job of, of shepherding you through that process. Cause you don't do this for a living, mm -hmm. but like with me, I do do this for a living. And where every loan, like you're only as good as your last deal, right? You know, we all have this reputation to grow and then protect. You have to spend that time with people to make sure that they really understand it. Else you end up with people that feel surprised. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's one of the things about the loan transactions that I think are um, bug people the most is things that pop up at the end. You know, I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, it's like if you had just been given the heads up somewhere before that, hey, this is a possibility or this is coming and we need to address this. But learning that off just off of a piece of paper where it's like, wait, this is not what I was expecting. That's a that's still as plaguing people as being surprised. And so anyway, kind of interesting stuff. Well, we want a break breaky time. I think it's breaky time. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's already nine thirty. Look I at know. us. Look at us go. Gosh, Jason, you've been off, and it, the time is just flying by. I'm telling you. Yeah. I didn't even warm up either. I just I showed up <laughs> just, here and we just started doing it. Yeah. It's crazy, huh? Well, I yep. think we're right. back well, into the old uh, swing of things around here. <laughs> <laughs> swing. It out. Was that yeah. a Wayne <laughs> swing? A Wayne's Show world wing. reference. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Me. Well, um, yeah, let's go ahead and do a commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes here with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018-396-08. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Is that a nod to the boys nod being to the back fact in that town? The boys are back in Here the studio in town. The original duo. That's right. There we go. Then Lizzie. Yeah. I would have missed that in yeah. like music Jeopardy. I got to go back to my rock jog days. Then Lizzie. The boys are back in town. Yeah. We moving down. Does that guy have a perm? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the guy has a perm. Just one of those froze from the uh, 70s there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess which metric? I don't want to give it away by <laughs> that. I don't want to give it away by using the wrong um descriptor here, but mm-hmm. Guess which metric has eclipsed its October 2006 peak? I don't know. I'm Come on. Think, on the edge of my seat think here. Back to 2006. I would have guessed just just at that headline. That was about the peak of real estate values. Yeah, wasn't values. It? But we already eclipsed that, didn't we? Uh, we did. Yeah, supposedly, most places. <laughs> Credit scores have eclipsed their October two thousand six peak. Hmm. So the average U.S. consumer credit score um, has hit seven hundred now, which is finally better than it was back in 06. Consumer debt levels are at all-time highs. However, debt service is at a low. Does that sound weird? Yeah. Well, I mean, no. Rates have been at lows. Rates have been at historic lows. So, no. Debt debt service is your mortgage, car, installment debt, student loans, whatever, credit card debt as a percentage of your income. So, we're carrying, like... Debts of all-time highs, but the debt service level, thanks in part to the rate, but also to the incomes to some degree, um, are low. And then here's another interesting one. Um, 1.4% of U.S. consumers 
have the perfect 850 credit score. Really? I have yet to see a perfect 850 credit score. I don't I, believe it exists. I haven't either. Well, it's only 1.4%. So out of all the, you know, 350 million people that are running around this crazy country, it's going to be very few. You're well, going to you be lucky to get to see one. That 1.4% of our customers would have an 850 credit score. True. Yeah, true. Right, but I guess not. It's slim. Um, the highest credit score that I believe I've ever seen on a report, like with my own eyes, was an 835. Yeah, I feel like I've seen something right above 830. Yeah, and 835 is like, holy yeah. smokes, this is like the holy grail of credit. you gotta, you got to call your uh, your buddies in to look at this credit report. Look at this. <laughs> this guy. This woman. Whoever it is, they've got their 70-something, first of all, and have done credit perfectly forever. It's a rare thing. But I honestly, I think when you see credit scores that are anything more than 810, that's pretty remarkable. Those are rare. They're rare. Yeah. I see, uh, sometimes I'm surprised. I'll get like 30-year-old kids in to buy a house and they've got like 795 credit. It's like, wow, you don't even seem old enough to have a 795, but you do. Um, but. Getting over that 800 bump, that's something special. You got good credit when you're over 800. But we see it. It's rare. We see it. I have one this week, actually. I won't tell you who because he's a regular listener of the show, but real good credit. But yeah, that's pretty wild. I remember it wasn't too long ago, the average credit score was 680. And that was like at the at kind of the tail end of the housing crisis. And I remember thinking... That surprises me, 680. That it was that high? Yeah. So many people had like problems, you yeah. know? Got lost your job, got furloughed, your house went down half in value. You had good people that were purposefully going late on their mortgage in an attempt to get their like adjustable mortgage rate renegotiated. Remember that? Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people with outstanding credit that were suddenly having credit issues and it just surprised me that the average credit score would be 680 and i kind of feel like average if average is a c i don't know is 680 an average like in terms of like a letter grade yeah i would say 660 to 680 is probably average i think 680 is average at least that's how it's viewed when considering qualifying for a mortgage yeah you know, 740, 760 being excellent, 720 being good. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like something's changed with the credit scoring models because prior to the whole housing downturn, um, I don't recall a lot of 800 credit scores. You know, I, I feel like the 800 credit score, I've seen a whole bunch more of them uh, post, you know, 2010. Well, maybe. At the same time, too, I'm thinking that in that era, like the banks that you worked for were um, heavy into Alt-A lending, too. So True. these were stated income loans. These True. Were, maybe these were people that just weren't the cream of the crop. True. Said in that continuing ed I was doing this week, they said that 15% um, of loans back then were subprime loans. And I thought... That feels low. It depends on the definition of subprime. Right. You know, everybody has a different interpretation of what that means. And Well, and, yeah. and so anyways, my part of my sentiment, the reason I thought it felt low was because 
that was kind of our world for a little while, like in the mortgage business and subprime. Okay. Maybe it was only a 15% market share, but, um, it was, it was a significant part of the market for a while there. Um, and the Alte business, a lot of the Alte, I would have considered subprime. And subprime, it often gets lumped into subprime. The, well, the term got degraded, right? Because Alte, alternative A paper, I think is like its origin. If A paper is Fannie, good credit, good down payment, fully verified everything, A paper. Going to get an A rating in the security. Something less than this, stated income, no down payment, having a second, having interest only arm, all these different little things. Well, those were alternative A. Well, by definition, it's not below prime. Like if the if the prime was the A stuff, now almost any deviation from that is subprime. I think it was alternatively documented A paper loans. Oh, yeah. Some salesmanship in there, buddy. <laughs> I sold many a loan to Wall Street. <laughs> Alternatively documented Because that's paper what it was, loan. really. It was, you know, it was a a way to finance residential property without full documentation. I was telling one of the new guys at work. So we have <laughs> we have some guys at work that have been in the mortgage business only after the recession, right? So we were talking about this the other day, and I was a little trip down memory lane about, uh, oh, you know how it came up? You guys may have talked about this on the radio show over the last couple of weeks. Um, Fannie Mae did a rollout on, oh, what was it, July 28th or some July 29th, something like this, right? Where they announced a handful of guideline updates, right? Enhancements, they're called. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you and your your salesy term of alternatively documented A paper. <laughs> Fannie Mae made some enhancements. Guess what these enhancements were? Guideline loosening of guidelines. <laughs> yes, dude. <laughs> that's almost like from an underwriting standpoint, that's a that's a disenhancement. Is that a word? No. <laughs> you unenhanced that. <laughs> You're allowing people to go to a higher debt to income ratio. You're going more lenient on a couple of different types of debt exclusions and payments. You're loosening up um, these guidelines, and I think it's in an attempt. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan. This is in an attempt to throw a bigger net, right? Catch more fish, right? When you're enhancing yeah. guidelines? Sure, absolutely. It's, yeah. The, and, and you hope... The idea is that they found that the the things they're making are areas where the they loans are still performing yeah, well. Yeah, you can accommodate. Without, We're still having high performance here with higher debt ratios when other certain compensating factors are are present. So we're not going to, you know, deny those people the ability to get finance. See, and now it's maybe just the underwriter in me, because this is where I started, right? I mean, it's the guy that's defending the company bottom line, right? This is, I'm, I'm the, the risk mitigator guy. I'm like the guy that's making sure that we're making sound investments. You know what I consider enhancements? Hmm. It's like an erosion to the credit quality of a loan. You're letting somebody do a higher debt-to-income ratio without compensating factors blanketly. That's an interesting one. 
self-preservation man market i like the way you said that too by the way market slowing down a little bit how do you keep revenue up then you gotta you gotta enhance the guidelines a little bit (laughs) i see it as a little bit of erosion so anyway we were talking about how this all went on back in the day and you remember a paper loans were harder because the Fannie Mae guidelines, they wanted you to bring in your tax returns. What's that? You got three businesses and you got rental properties. So you got schedule E's and you got all these different, your tax returns are thick. You know, some of these things are two or three inches thick on a Fannie Mae loan. You got to bring them in. Yeah, I know it's a pain in the butt. You got to bring them in. And it was harder back then too. Not everybody had scanners. Right. So you had to like go get them from a drawer, you know, and like blow the dust off of them and take time to drive across town and bring it in. Well, people started going, you know, on those Alt A loans, started going, well, you can do that over here. Uh, we'll just, we'll take your word for it. That was kind of where stated income started, right? Was you don't have to bring in the tax returns. We get it. They're, it's a pain in the butt. You're going to have to drive them across town. They're thick. It's complicated. Don't bring them in. So Fannie Mae starts losing market share. So what they come up with? Fast and easy. Right? That was like the, if you have a 780 credit score, we don't need to see your tax returns. You obviously know what's going on. You have really good credit. So just tell us how much you make. So guess what happened then? People started going, hey, well, you have a 780 credit score. You really need to make a little bit more to qualify. So we're just going to say you make more. And that's sort of what I think began to pave the way of how Fannie and Freddie started getting into loans they shouldn't have been in was that desire to compete with a product that was having enhanced programs. So... Kind of an interesting thing um, is now, you know, you just see over time these small erosions and um, wonder how far it goes. Um, I had a loan this week, Dan. It had a 49.9 debt to income ratio. So this is for the listeners at home. This is... uh, transaction or you so debt to income is basically add up all the debt in your life things from your credit report right your car payment your student loan payment your credit card balances if there are any all those minimum payments yeah all the minimum payments and then your house payment your property taxes your insurance your hoa fee if there is one all this stuff right so add all this up and then divide it by your total gross income produces a debt to income ratio Standard is supposed to be around 40%, right? I mean, at the federal level, they even call it maybe closer to 30% for your housing ratio right, or whatever. But ratio. anyway, on <clears throat> on these loans where it gets up to 49.9, um, that's in the conventional loan, that's pushing the upper edge of the envelope for sure. And for years, Freddie Mac went to that 49 level where Fannie kind of stayed at 45. And yeah, they they had some ability with what they called compensating factors to go beyond that 45, but it was an automated underwriting engine decision. And it basically said, yeah, you're a little bit over, you're at 47%, but with that credit and that income, that longevity of that job and that savings, 
we're going to let you slide. Mm-hmm. Freddie Mac didn't really require compensating factors as much. They cared mostly about savings. They would let you go to 49.9 if you had six months worth of reserves or something like this, right? So anyway, for years and years and years, that was the case. If you had a borrower that had a debt-to-income ratio between 45 and 50, you usually would just run the the Freddie Mac engine first because that was your highest likelihood of getting approval. Well, this week I had a loan that was at 49.99, so I started with Freddie Mac, and I got a denial. Hmm. It didn't like me at 49.99. But Fannie Mae just had these enhancements. So we ran on Fannie Mae and got an approval, like kind of flip-flopped. They've, and, and one of the interesting things about their enhancement was that they said Fannie Mae will allow debt-to-income ratios up to 49.99 without compensating factors. So I'm curious, did this person on the loan application have a significant amount of reserves? No. Did this, what was the income level of this person? Not very good. Hmm. I mean, it's, so this is a, this is a single person, a single applicant, unmarried, um, works in a a decent job for five years, a salaried position within local government. What's the annual salary? $60,000 a year. Hmm. So modest, right? I yeah. mean, this isn't the kind, this isn't the kind of scenario where you look and go, well, of course, that's great. Well, cause yeah, my, I was going to. Suggests that it had to do with residual income. Not really. <clears throat> a fifty percent debt ratio for someone making five thousand bucks a month is a lot different than a fifty percent debt ratio for someone making ten thousand dollars a month. There's and, a lot more extra money. And we have left an over. auto loan with four plus years remaining. Hmm. We have about ten thousand dollars worth of consumer credit card debt balance outstanding and remaining. Um, so when I look at this whole scenario, and by the way, I, w- I want you to know this is a pre-qualification, right? So I'm sitting with this borrower and I'm having a conversation with this borrower and I say, hey, look, you're in here to find out what the maximum qualification you can have is. I'm going to tell you what it is. And it's too high. <laughs> you're a root canal away from having a significant problem. Furthermore, you have $10,000 worth of credit card debt. What are you doing with that? Mm-hmm. If you make the minimum payments over time, that's 30 years of trying to pay off that 10 grand. It's going to cost you 30 grand by the time it's all said and done. What's your game plan? You're on a schedule at work, working for the county. There's a step increase. Won't be making, you know, get a 2% every so many hours of work thing. It works out to be every couple of years. Um, is there inheritance that you're expecting that you're not telling me about? Are you just thinking you're going to meet a significant other that's going to come in and split bills with you at some point? But whatever it is, like the, going this far in your debt-to-income ratio is scary. Mm-hmm. And I really was looking at the two engines, and I'm going, you know, I, yeah, on your request and tell you what your maximum qualification is. Because, you know, sometimes people have other income, too, that they don't want talked about, Right. And in this case, there actually was some alimony that had less than three years remaining. Mm. So it can't be counted on the loan app, but it changes the way the cash flow feels a little bit. We could have another discussion about whether or not you should be working that into your budget then. Fact is, as an underwriter, the reason we're not counting it is that three years goes by pretty quick. And when that (laughs) money's gone, where what gives? What adjustment do you make, right? Mm -hmm. 
So anyway, you know, we're going through this, though, and I couldn't help but realize that Freddie Mac didn't give the approval that it usually would give at that higher debt to income ratio because it didn't like the lack of savings and the re- and the residual debt. Hmm. Um, Fannie Mae, with this new enhancement, was n- without requiring any compensating factor, said yes. And so I kind of, that was a head scratcher for me. I'm not used to seeing that. I mean, you know, programmed into these engines is some complex matrix. I would love to get my eyes on that just to see in in a different (sighs) format how they determine what's approved and what's not. I picture it as, um, I was going to say Venn diagram, but that's not right, is it? No, it is right. Yeah, Venn diagram is the circles, right? You remember that? All S or P, some S or P, no S or P. Um, And I think it's a Venn diagram of of those different pieces. It's credit, it's income, it's assets, it's debt-to-income ratio. And there's a shaded part in the middle where there's an overlap for four out of the five of them or three out of the five of them. And then, and I would bet you that there's gradient levels. Yeah. That's just how it works in my mind. Right. I think each one of your circles has. And a little bit more clout. Right. And so for Freddie Mac, they put a lot more clout into the savings component so that if you were in the gradient of, okay, your credit score is not fantastic, but. Your savings, your goods, you're you're kind of have a darker gradient in that area. And so when we add it all up, there's enough, there's enough in there for us to be confident in you. And when you and when I find that these guidelines have changed with Fannie to remove the requirement of compensating factors, I feel like it's saying it doesn't really matter now. If you only have the debt to income ratio box down, that's good enough. And um Anyway, I'm not suggesting the sky is falling and that we're going to make a whole bunch of really dumb loans now, um, because thankfully, just like with this client, we're having a real honest conversation about this. It's like, you know, really, you're you're going to stretch yourself thin. And I know I said it in jest a minute ago, but um, I this is something I tell people. You're a root canal away from a significant problem. And if you've never had a root canal, uh, this could be two grand to get the root canal and then a thousand or two thousand dollars to get the crown you need now. Mm-hmm. Where it is four thousand dollars, where does that come from for you? And either way, it's not fun. No, it's not. <laughs> it's like, I've done it. it. It's not. I've had a root canal. It's it isn't not that the, and Jim, isn't that the worst part about it? Yeah. Is that at the end of the day, you go through this awful experience yeah. and you need to come up with four thousand dollars? Terrible. Yeah, that's an insane amount of money for most people. Yeah, because even if you have some savings, that's the last thing you want to pull it out and spend it on is a tooth. Literally, (laughs) yeah, physically, yeah, yeah. You know, Uh so but so that's the thing though. It's like you don't leave yourself in your budget where you're you went so tight and you put yourself so far into the corner on this that some event like that, like for or how about this one? You know. Your car blows up. That happens. This person still has a car loan. Okay, so now your car blows up. Well, you still have a loan. Now what are you going to do? Another $5,000 on the credit card to put a new motor in the car that you still have a loan on? And then you're just going to add that to the 10000 you already have on your credit card? Let's, let's, all, let's all slow down on this and actually just look at... Are you, is this all right? Are we doing this all right? And 
you know, and again, like I, I know I always am trying to justify why it is we need a real loan officer instead of like a, a computer, you know, get a rocket loan, just push this button. Uh, don't push that button. Actually, why don't you talk to somebody with a brain that's going to like make sure that you're seeing this from all angles? Because I've been doing this for long enough now that guess who comes back? Guess who comes back in to see me? Oh my God, I had a root canal. My husband died. I I never should have got that 15-year loan. I'm in a tight spot now because I don't have the income for it or all these different things. They'll come, these people come back to get help from you when life happens. So once you try to help people out of that sticky spot because life is happening to them, it means now when you're getting that that you know more naive or younger borrower in that's like looking at, well, what's my maximum? Well, do we want to do that though? Can I tell you a couple stories? We need to slow down and make sure that, you know, everybody wants to own a home, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's a that's a great goal. It's a great ambition. It's a really a good thing to do. Make sure that you're doing it with a with a proper expectation, a good budget, a good game plan. You know, no one wants to to get into a home only to find out six months into it. Now they've run through the savings, the credit cards are maxed and they're tripping. I never should have done this, right? So Anyway, yeah, those programs have been enhanced. (laughs) Yeah, and the one thing I was going to add is that it's, you know, you talked about the big picture and whether this is going to lead to bigger problems. It's there's something different about a fifty debt ratio on a fully documented loan versus a fifty debt ratio on a no doc loan, right? Or a you know stated Stated income income loan. loan. So. You know, I'd argue all day Which long is where that we Fannie were and Freddie, Fannie and Freddie at a fifty debt ratio were not the cause of the housing downturn. I, w- I would argue no, that no, no, no. all day. I, I'm not going to suggest that either. Um, hey, we're making our way to the top of the hour here, and so we're going to have a about a five minute break. So grab some coffee, do whatever you got to do. We'll be back in five minutes or so for another hour of Mortgage Matters. We hope you stick around. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage <laughs> Matters. There's a new banner in here, isn't there? There is. The big old KVEC. Changes. Changes. Hey, changes. what station are we on on the FM? Read the banner. It is on the banner. <laughs> My goodness. 96.5 FM. 9.20 AM. 96.5 FM. What's on 96.5 most of the time? KVEC. Just KVEC? Yeah, just KVEC. Whatever. So it's actually airing the mirrored image of this all the time just on the FM? Right now. All right. We sound a lot more sexy on the FM, too. Is it good? Is it yeah. better? Well, yeah. It depends on where you're at. It's kind of like it's really good in San Luis Obispo and the coastal areas. Hmm. So that's, that's what they're trying to do is get more to the coastal areas like Morro Bay, Cayucas, Cambria, I believe. Well, that's mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I can get it in Rogue Randy and stuff. It's, but uh, we, we were, it's, it's less staticky, a little more clean. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's what you equate to sounding sexier. Yeah. Less exactly. staticky. Exactly. We keep our deep voices all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, it's just kind of, um, yeah, it, it's just a way of getting us on the FM. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. It's good. Well, I guess we should talk a little bit of the economic stuff, eh? We got, uh, I mean, first of all, jobless claims. Starting to look at these a little bit more lately, just kind of checking it out. 232,000 last week, which is incredibly low. I started pulling these from a new um, news source that I've been reading, which is giving us the continuing claims. Do you ever look at the continuing claims? Of all the stuff I read, I don't. I never really have been very familiar with continuing jobless claims. I don't look at it regularly anymore. I stopped looking at jobless claims anymore. What would you guess <clears throat> that continuing jobless claims for? I'm baiting you too. This is this is a deceiving number, I think. I don't know. It's basically just under 2 million. It's kind of crazy, huh? So what is that measuring? How many people that get unemployment benefits are still on it. So right. every week you're getting this initial jobless claim. So this is the person that's just signing up for the this first new benefit. So the initial is the first receipt of And then continuing claims are the people that are just still continuing on it. Continuing to be on Only two million? Hmm, okay. It seems low, doesn't it? I mean, two million's a lot, I guess. But, but when you're talking about the population of the country. A quarter million a week, basically, are <laughs> getting a first-time benefit. So it's, so it's eight it, weeks worth? Yeah, it makes me think that people get on this for a pretty short period of time. Which and, is the idea, right? Yeah, just something to see you through. Yeah, because don't you... Uh, see, I've never done um, unemployment benefits before. You haven't either, have you? No. I think there's something to it, though, where you... You have to be unemployed for like a week or two weeks or something before you can apply for it. Mm. So there's even like a window in there. It's like, you know what? You're, you're best at putting your energy towards getting another job, not walking straight over to get the benefit. So, but yeah, I was surprised to see that that, that number was um, low and then also decreasing. It, it decreased by 
3,000 in the prior week, but those initial jobless claims are still crazy low. They're basically at like a 40-plus year low. Um, but you, where's your newspaper, Dan? <laughs> the newspaper? Oh, is that passe now? No. Oh. It just doesn't get delivered um, consistently to my home. I have an ongoing email chain with circulation about my newspaper making it to my house three out of seven days a week. Ooh. Um, Did you tell them you were going to talk <clears throat> about this on the radio? No, I didn't, but here we are. My bad. Yeah. I got I mine fixed down. I don't oh, it's a neighborhood-wide issue. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've come to find that I'm. it's not an issue specific to my house. It's our entire neighborhood. It's been going on for a few months now. It's pretty frustrating. Um, mm. When I do get that newspaper three days out of seven thrown into a puddle it's the bag's torn like somehow it's it lands perfectly in the middle underneath my car wow so not only do i have to search for it then i have to get down on all fours and wedge myself yeah army crawl under the car to retrieve my paper first thing in the morning i would back the car up i'll talk to my delivery guy I happen to know him personally. Or get a broom. I've, I've been getting yeah, get my newspaper every day. Maybe you should just start leaning a broom <laughs> by the front door. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice if I didn't have to do that. Yeah. It'd be nice. I mean, I have plenty of Dan. space to land a newspaper without a lot of effort where I don't have to crawl under my car. You mm. need to temper your expectations, buddy. <laughs> Mr. No, Primadon over here. Really? You have a guy serving you. <laughs> News I pay, it's not, daily. It's not a, a, a free service. I pay for it. <laughs> Sounds like you're not paying enough. Yeah. If you pay I a little bit more, you probably bring it up with a bow and hang yeah. it on the knob. Yeah, I'm sure. I Trying got to mine keep costs fixed. low, so they throw it under the car. You got to work a little bit for it too. It's like bagging your own groceries. Yeah. And then they have the nerve to want to tip at like the holidays and stuff. I'm like, really? You know how good this was all year long? It wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably the ninth newspaper delivery guy that right. you've had this year. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so well, I'm a little frustrated. So you don't see the array I of articles. I that don't. I don't. Usually... And I all week long, I saw this article and I thought to myself, um, Dan's going to bring this in. Yeah. Well, California unemployment rate rises to four point eight percent, and they kept saying too, it's up in San Luis County too. Hmm. The unemployment rate in San Luis Obispo County was four point two percent, which is up from three point seven in June. Hmm. 2016, it was 4.7. So we were kind of getting well below norm, and now um, a month up. That's obviously not enough data to suggest it's a trend or not. Right. It's probably a a little blip, but hey, California well. added 82,600 non-farm payroll jobs. Which is pretty good. I mean, considering the country's adding 200,000 a month. California's adding 80,000 of them? That's good. We'll just be over here doing a heavy lifting out there, guys, uh, for the rest of the country. We'll just take almost half of them. We'll, we'll go for uh, it. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll take care of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got a caller on the line. I know this guy. This is Mike Points. What's happening, guys? How's it going? Hi, Mike. Another day in just got back from the dog park and getting ready to have a fun day. All right. Excellent. I, I thought I'd call really quick um, and make a quick announcement for one of our our close real estate agencies, uh, Hubble Real Estate Group. Oh. They're going to have their grand opening on August 27th. That's not 
this Sunday, but next Sunday from 11 to 3 a.m. at their 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Yeah. What'd I say? 11 to 3 a.m. No, that won't be. I mean, I know we're still young and that's prime party hours, but. On a Sunday night, I can't make that, Mike. I can't party until three on a school night anymore. I just can't do it. I'm old now. That's the beauty of radio. You just got to keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. There you go. Still listening. Much better. Um, (laughs) Thanks for the correction. That's Sunday, August 27th. And um, it's going to be—it's actually going to be a great day. They're—they're they're having a grand opening because it's a new location. The location is actually—it's um, on Grand Avenue. It's fifteen twenty-seven West Grand Avenue in Grover Beach, and their cities are going to include a taco truck outside. They're going to be have the the full agency open to walk through and meet some of these agents. We work with a lot of them. They're salt of the earth people. There's also a charity going on, um, which will help out um, young kids with cancer um, when they're when they find out they've been diagnosed with cancer, and uh, you know need help with rides to the hospital, places to stay if they go up to Stanford or UCLA. So it's a really good cause. Hubble Real Estate Group's making a splash in the South County, and, and they'd love for people to know about it and show up on the 27th. Sweet, that's cool. And give us that address one more time. Yeah, one more time. I'll run it back. It's it's fifteen twenty seven West Grand Ave, Grover Beach, California. And it's from eleven to three on uh, this next Sunday, the twenty seventh. Yeah, August twenty seventh. I'll probably call in again next Saturday just to remind people. But um, mm. I, it's my duty. I said I would help out, and and I I want to make sure our listeners know about it. Plus a taco truck, you know? Yeah. Can't go wrong there. Sounds All right, guys. I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for letting me hop on. All All right, right. Mike. Appreciate it. Happy day. Take care. Bye-bye. Um... Yeah. Take a quick break? No, not yet. No, not yet. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let's not do it. It's all the so there's a lot of testing your reflexes. Jim. Yep, he no, was, I got my finger on the button and everything. He and was then, leaned no, back. Sorry, psych. He was leaned back in the chair doing that recliner thing. Yeah, I was like, oh man, getting ready to settle yeah. in for another twelve minutes of Jason talking. <laughs> all right, I mean, you can do a break if you want to do a break. I was just, I keep looking at my notes. One of the reasons I'm having trouble here is that I'm looking at my notes and I got like. Industrial production, capacity utilization, Fed Philly manufacturing. Maybe you could just give us an overview. It sounds choppy and boring, doesn't it? It does. And then right below it is like still the note from the credit score thing. I wanted to talk about credit more, but we moved on from that fast. Well, maybe we can take a break and uh, brainstorm something better. Kind of regroup. <laughs> yeah. yeah regroup. Let's do that. There's also uh, housing starts and building permits. Now, That's exciting. Now, now we're warming up. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> there we go. All right. We'll do a break. Let's do a break, Jim. Fine. <laughs> I got my hand right on it. So, as soon as you toss it to the break. Are you ready to take it to the break? Yeah, we are. But really quickly, I just want to remind everyone that mm. we will uh, we'll accept phone Let's calls. Let's take a call. Questions, comments, concerns. 
you know, whatever you whatever you might be on your mind. You Having you a yard a sale? You yeah, want right? to tell us about your yard sale? <laughs> you can give us a call live in the studio, 543-8830, and we'll be back right after this break. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Turns out we took a break and we talked about baseball the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and accounting for inflation right now, you'd have to put another dollar into the jig box to get the same science. Song she what says a dime. A so, dime? Uh, yeah. I don't, well, first of all, you'd have yeah. to locate a jukebox. jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> They're around. So that's how we're working it into the show through economy. They're around, but now it's like a digital yeah. jukebox yeah. and you're going to pay... Uh, I think you get three plays for five bucks or something oh, like that. See? Wow. It ain't cheap. Yeah. Not a dime. No, not a dime anymore, no. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> 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 there was a a jukebox at the family bar and restaurant that I worked at in high school and uh-huh. um we had the little like token that you can put free music with. Uh 
which generally kept people from paying for the jukebox. They'd say, <laughs> hey, go throw another coin in there. Okay. Idea is that every once in a while you guys put a buck in there and pick some songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nope. That's when the silence would take over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds of silence. I'll play yeah. that one coming back from the next break. Which one? <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, Sound of silence. How about interest rates? Very good. Holding steady at the 2017 lows. Yeah, in um, when last week, when some of the I don't did, and maybe I'm just maybe I'm just lame, but I I'm watching all this stuff about. North Korea and things, and I'm thinking, is this, yeah, is this idiot actually? And then you know, our commander in chief is barking back with some some pretty strong words, and I'm going, okay, I I I can appreciate that sentiment. If you're mm-hmm. gonna tell me that you're about to like burn an entire island mm-hmm. of American territory to the ground. I'm okay with you telling them, you know, we're locked and loaded and you'll regret the day you did it. And you better not. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, yeah. uh-oh, we got like, these guys actually seem to be really threatening one another. Mm-hmm. And then once it came that, um, and I don't know, because the conversation stopped awfully quick once the Charlottesville thing came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I understand... Kim Jong-un kind of, I don't know if he made a formal statement or not, but basically they said he's agreed to not, um, to bomb Guam. Okay, cool. That's a good, that's a really good start. Positive, uh, positive Thank you statement. for that. <laughs> and then right away we shifted gears so hard. I, I, my real thought honestly was, um, that those, that threat sort of going down, you know, I don't want to say being extinguished or eliminated because it still feels like a scary thing to me, but those are the kind of things I was thinking may have been helping hold the bond market down um, because you keep seeing, you know, enough other news. There's enough other stuff that are pretty good. We didn't even see rates really go up after a better than average jobs report. Um, we didn't see... Consumer confidence was good. Retail sales was better than expected and actually um, a little bit of a strong showing. Um, Real estate numbers continue to be impressive. We had uh, September 20th, or I'm sorry. um, Yeah, it is September 20th. We have another um, Fed meeting meeting coming on. But, you know, you add up all these things and it's like I kind of expected that maybe rates had a little upward pressure on them. But... Then that that North Korea thing kind of fell in the limelight a little bit, and now uh, we find ourselves with some pretty darn good interest rates. I mean, we're holding, yeah, like you said, at the 2017 lows. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, we've gotten um, this week, I did a few new loans that are um, people coming in for refis where able to take advantage of doing some debt consolidation or getting some cash out to do like a kitchen remodel without getting a higher interest rate for a loan they had like a year ago, right? Or, yeah, without having to get an adjustable HELOC or yeah. something like that. And so it's nice to see this kind of little window where you could get in and do a refi if you needed to at a good low rate. I mean, let's be honest. If you're buying a home 
then um, it's nice to have low rates in general, but you're kind of going to get what you get when you get it. Yeah, you're subject to the market at that time. If you feel like you need a refi because you'd love to have a little bit lower mortgage insurance or to, you know, maybe to pay off that line of credit. People's homes went up so much in the last four years that we have a lot of people that got a line of credit already and are coming back to get rid of it. One of the refis I started this week um, was for a veteran. I'm doing a 100% VA cash out refi. And um, I know it sounds crazy. This guy bought this house and it went up $150,000 in value. Well, he spent the 150000 bucks in value already. Um, put a kid through college with a master's degree and there wow. it went. So in that four-year period, um, you know, and, and his daughter was already in school. So when I did the loan, when they bought the house, he had a lot of student loans he was taking out already for his daughter. And I could tell from the line of credit that he paid off all those student loans, paid the rest of the bills. And now is, you know, 50 grand more just to finish up grad school. Um, but uh, basically a hundred percent VA cash out refi, and it's a half a point lower interest rate than what he had before huh. and paying off that adjustable rate second. So uh, point being, there's a, a handful of uh, reasons why somebody might be willing to refi right now where these interest rates are still um, pretty darn good. Um, yeah. and, and, and we have no idea how long they're going to be good for. Right. I, I continue to think that they're going up. It's, at some point, we're going to see a 30-year fixed at 5%. Well, and, and the reality is they have gone up. Uh, the Freddie Mac reported that the mortgage rates for this week, which probably is last week, um, was at a, what, they reported an APR of 3.89%, okay. which is nearly a half a percent higher than this same time last year. Sure. So it, it has been going up, but it still feels... It peaked over this, though. This yeah, is a little did. bit of a decline. Certainly. It, there was a period where it was up about a point. And mm -hmm. so now it's up, yeah, probably about a half a point. And it's funny that you bring it up because, um, you know, the, many of the commentaries that I read for news during the week are suggesting that, um, you know, well, here you go. I'll read you a sentence. Back in November, investors expecting lots of growth and thus higher rates are growing impatient with an administration that made lofty promises but has not made much headway on highly anticipated items like tax or health insurance reform. So these rates spiked on a lot of anticipation of, of these things changing and a really robust economy. And I kind of feel like since the since the election happened, um, there's been this period where we've sort of been maybe we got a little punch drunk in terms of the rates. And now it's sort of sobering up as we trickle back down to that level. Are we going all the way back to where it was a year ago? I don't think so. Especially if you look at what's going on globally in the global economy, you're beginning to see, you know, and I feel like many of the other countries are about four years behind us in terms of, you know, whether they're doing um, quantitative easing type of things, right. if they have an accommodative policy, if they have low rates. And we're beginning now to see globally that that many of these other big economies are starting to to have less accommodating practices. We're seeing interest rates that are being held and increased as opposed to being held and cut. Right. So as all of those things sort of wear on, I don't see um, anywhere. Well, 
I mean, last week, though, two weeks ago, I started thinking, you know what? <laughs> well, yeah, we had a lot of focus on, um, oh, the Russia meddling in the election and the Affordable Care Act reform and can they get this through and can they get that through? And then when I started thinking about dummy over there in North Korea talking about um, burning an entire island to the ground, I started thinking, you know what? Uh, that all of those other things would be while they're important, they would be way less important than figuring out how to deal with that kind of crisis. I mean, and I'm sure you guys read some of these articles. I was reading articles that were suggesting what the nuclear fallout would be and how many millions of people would be dead if that actually got there. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at that stuff and I'm thinking, yeah. man, this is scary, scary things. And those kind of things might put interest rates back into the threes. Well, yeah. um, but God forbid, nobody wants that. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine. Well, maybe a knucklehead over there wants that. But um, yeah, I would rather have the higher interest rates. As <laughs> yeah. opposed Any to interest people rate. Being I mean, dead. Oh, I was reading numbers <laughs> yeah. like eight to 10 million yeah. by the time all the yeah. fallout and everything. So just terrifying. I'm glad that that's a little bit at ease. And on that topic, by the way, um, it seems like the final stroke in really getting them to stand down was ultimately China placing some sanctions on them. Mm -hmm. um, sanctions for lead and lead ore, things that North Korea had been exporting to China and China basically going, you know what? You know, I don't think North Korea has much of an economy to begin with, but right. they their economy does depend almost entirely on China. And so thankfully, China willing to step in and and really put the hammer down and say, you, you we will you'll die on the vine if you keep going down this road. And I think that was ultimately it wasn't the banter back and forth and the threats of, you know, who's got more feathers. But ultimately, well, China doesn't want it either. You know, no, obviously. well, they're much no, closer. Nobody in the right? world. Oh wants yeah, it's it, a yeah. world issue. It's yeah. a, you know? it, it is a world. It issue. has enough of an effect on the global climate. <laughs> oh, and then I started reading about some of these other things. Um, I had to stop. I I actually was feeling a little bit scared. Was I I stumbled across this article that was saying, um, you know, these hackers that hack things. So they were suggesting that the greater threat might actually be that some hackers understand how to get their hands on the codes of nuclear warheads to other countries. And I go, whoa, what if? And could you imagine some missile takes off that's thought to be carrying a, a, a nuclear warhead and it gets shot out of the sky and you understand where it originated from? That country immediately goes, it wasn't actually us. The software malfunction or we got hacked or something well you don't they're not going to sit right. around and talk that out they're going to start then on the massive offense or whatever and so i started thinking holy crap i almost think we need to figure out how to just get rid of all these nukes everywhere um it's scary now that they're even around what if there's a software possibility of some hacker yeah. that can go in and launch somebody else's stuff i mean they're hacking Healthcare systems and major banks, they're hacking HBO. That seems like there's no limit to what they can hack. It's just scary stuff, yeah. man. Super freaky. Maybe some things should not be accessible by a computer at all. Yeah, right. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Seriously. I hope it's not, honest to God, yeah. of all. But if you think about like the anti, um, 
you know, the air defense, defense or whatever, that, that system, that's all computer-based, right? It's mm -hmm. how it's going to track them and yeah. shoot them down. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it has to be online for that stuff. And mm -hmm. just, it's just freaky. Like I said, I read a couple articles and that piqued my curiosity, and then I stopped. I'm like, this is make me stay awake tonight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be thinking about that. Well, and it's all that uncertainty that, that leads to these lower interest right. rates, holding rates down. Yeah, because, yeah, you're exactly right. You have that, those are the what we always call it's that flight to safety but when things feel sketchy and uncertain people buy bonds and the mortgage rates are tied to the bonds and so um yeah like you said jim i'd i'd way rather have the higher interest rates yeah. than be yeah. having to contemplate these kind of things yeah. but yeah so when when it felt like north korea was actually listening a little bit and standing down a little bit i kind of thought okay well maybe these things are going to pop now but it didn't really. Well, there's enough domestic uncertainty, you know, with administration shakeups and yeah, those couple of big, um, you know, the healthcare and tax reform and things that seem like they're just not getting done at definitely not getting done at the pace that they were talked about. Yeah. So. I know it almost makes me want to just be done with the internet and social media. <laughs> I also I I wish that I just didn't know about all of the challenges and problems. I could just be happier. I think <laughs> stuff feels stressful, man. It really does. I mean, and especially as a father of young men and young girl, I just feel like it's like I'm like this. I'm kind of surprised nobody has really tried to solve the problem of that leader in North Korea. Well, I thought about that too, but yeah. what happens though? Yeah. So you go in there and I believe they could. They I mean one push of the button probably removes North Korea from the map. Okay? No. Well, I'm not even but saying then, the whole country. I'm just saying the one person. Well, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah. then what happens with Iran and Russia and whoever else that thinks that the bully United States is, you know, meddling in things they shouldn't and then you know, it, that could almost escalate yeah. it all just the same. But who knows? I mean, and I just I, I pray that we don't end up thinking, wishing in retrospect that something else had been done. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not those can't be easy things to deal with. I guarantee you that. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly scary. We're ready for the final commercial break. And uh, man, we started trying just talking about <laughs> what's affecting the economy. And we end up on a Saturday morning talking some heavy stuff here. So yeah, well, we, this we, commercial break will help the economy of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Final commercial break here. We'll be back in a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Linux. The most critical part of buying a home is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Pre-approved buyers are taken more seriously, enjoy a less stressful transaction, and close faster with no last-minute surprises. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. That guy just say, look at me, I'm self-employed. I love to work at nothing all day. Yeah. Kind of self-employed. Take the 815 into the city. Be there by 9. That's a good... What does he do? Nothing, it sounds like. Yeah. Then That's not a good recipe for (laughs) self-employment. It's a good recipe for like... Or maybe it's a great one. (laughs) I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So all that rate talk leads us to um, there's a Fed meeting on September 20th. The odds of a rate hike happening on September 20th are now like almost immeasurably slim. Oh. And the implied probability of a December 13 rate hike are almost 60%. So sounds like December, barring other news, there's a lot, there's a lot of ground to cover between now and sure. December, right? Um, but so that being said, it looks like we have a couple more months run, which I think is another thing that'll sort of help things be in this low range right now for the time being. It sounds like the, the big topic at the September meeting will be less about a rate hike and more about the balance sheet. Yeah. Yeah. And whether to begin tapering the balance sheet currently, the, the balance sheet has a four and a half trillion dollar balance. Yep. And so the discussion will be whether or not to start unwinding that. Um, they It was brought up at the August meeting, but uh, a more in-depth conversation was pushed off to the September meeting. 
Yeah, and you know, inflation is something they continue to talk about, and um, we got a read on a couple of the inflation metrics this week. Producer price index was expected to be plus 0.2% and was actually minus 0.1. So radically missing the expectation of the producer price side. Um, That was a very weak reading and has got to be yet again another just thorn in the side of the Fed that has been trying to hit this target inflation for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Consumer price index came out the following day, um, plus 0.1%, lower than expected, but at least not negative. Um, in, In, you know, also this last week we got release about the minutes, um, the Fed meeting minutes. And um, so obviously we know already in July, the committee voted to leave interest rates unchanged. They also started talking about um, that unwinding of that balance sheet you're talking about. It's four and a half trillion. Um, The quote that made it out of the statement and minutes are um, that it is relatively soon and that the committee is trying to put together details on that to release at the September meeting. So we're just about a month away now from understanding what the Fed uh, game plan is in terms of how it is they'll unwind that balance sheet. Um, You know what, people, we've been talking about it for a while, and we usually talk about it in terms of what it might do to current interest rates if the Fed brings that to market. Um, But I, I... challenge you to think about it a little bit differently. You know, you've got um, just getting it off of the Fed's balance sheet just to have that tool, right? If they need to buy again, if we can unwind the four and a half trillion without radically disrupting the market today, then it gives us the, the track record of having jumped in when the market was frozen and tight and illiquid, really nursed it through um, a tight market and made money off of it. The treasuries made tremendous money off of that portfolio um, and then and and really had great success with it. The performance of the security has been outstanding. And so if they can figure out how to unwind out of it, it gives us a lot more confidence that next time when need be, hey, we have actually some experience in what you need to do if you need to hop in there and thaw a credit market by taking on what seems like an unbelievably large um, balance sheet. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see, like I said, if they can get it to market and get this unwinded without causing a big shock to the current interest rate market, um, then, you know, good for all of us, really. And, you know, and I'm I'm not expecting, it's fun to think of these things out loud, but I'm not expecting that we're actually going to find um, actually much of a very big shock. Things that they have to sell are likely going to be the same as the rates we have today or lower. And those aren't going to be gaining too much market favor. If you could buy it at today's higher rate, why would you buy one from two years ago at Mm -hmm. a lower rate uh, where performance levels across the board seem to be pretty darn good? So I don't actually see that it's going to mix our market up very much. Um, And if anything, it might even actually begin to pull our interest rates down a little bit if you think about it. If everything else that's coming to market is that old, the vintage three and a quarter, three and a half, 30 year fix, and they can mix in some three and three quarters or three and seven eighths of today, 
why not? You know, it's still going to be better than what's coming to market from then. So um, maybe it ends up actually being more beneficial than we could imagine. Um, but also the meeting minutes talked quite a bit about the labor market conditions continuing to strengthen, the real domestic growth product likely to expand um, at a faster pace in the second quarter than the first quarter, um, the change in consumer prices um, slowed again, um, inflation continues to be problematic, um, but the, the gains in jobs uh, are something that they're they're believing is actually really strong and good numbers for us. And, um, you know, so altogether, it looks like the focus is primarily going to be on coming up with a plan and bringing that plan um, to the public with how you're going to begin getting out of that four and a half trillion balance sheet. And, uh, you know, so that that I think is what everyone's going to be paying attention to at the September meeting. The interest rate thing, I, mean, I can't imagine that you want to raise interest rates and have this talk. And I think that's in part why the odds of an interest rate hike are so low. There's a lot on the plate to come up with the plan and sell it to the markets of how you unwind four and a half trillion, let alone with layering it with an interest rate hike. Right. So we'll see. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously over the course of the next month, there's a few more things that are going to happen before we get this uh, meeting on the 20th of September underway. We're going to have an August jobs report, too. That's going to be coming out in just a couple weeks here. will give us an idea coming off of a really good July report, better than expectations. By the way, uh, I think I missed this show. It was one of the ones I was gone on was the job show. But I, you know, I still have been reading. June was revised upward. July was strong. So all eyes on August. See what what's going to happen in August. Are we going to end up continuing that trend of really uh, beefing up a pretty robust job market um, or not? <laughs> We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it seems like the trends there are very positive. Um, you know, I think it would have to be something very negative. And, and really, that would just, you know, further ammunition to not touch interest rates at this time. I, I think as long as it maintains that pace, then it's really going to be more about. Well, it, and part of that jobs report from last time, too, was hourly earning increase of 0.4%. Yeah. And work week staying the same, which I thought was weird. Work week at 34 hours or something um, is weird, too. Everyone I know works more than 34 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> it almost doesn't matter what you do. Those are long. It's a lot longer than 34 hours. But, um, yeah, so the that part of the market seems really strong. And um, I, I just... I can't imagine um, that we're going to see much different out of the August numbers anyway, especially with these initial jobless claims and continuing claims being um, so strong where they are. Imagine we're going to see more of just the same. So let's see. Go back to my news. I was all of that other boring stuff I was going to tell you about. Oh, Housing starts and building permits is some of the um, the housing data that we did get this week. I'm getting this like pixely type of thing going on on my email. I know you're going to share a national report here. I There were some clients that came into the Morro Bay office this week, and they're looking at building a home in Morro Bay. They bought a lot last year looking to build a home, and they're trying to find a contractor 
here to build that home. And their finding that um, their expectation of what it would cost was uh, a little under what the what the bids are coming in at. By about 40%. Yeah, and they've got, there's a couple contractors they've met that don't even, they've just said, can't do it. Can't even give you a bid right now. I'm too busy. Yeah, and you know, and that, I mean, just as a, any one of those um, contractors that's attempting to fill up a schedule is um, when they're in such high demand too. That's where, if I'm going to do it, I it's, it's going to be worth, be my, worth time. my yeah. I'm going to have to. I'm going to end up working longer, harder days, and pushing other jobs out, or adding to a crew and taking on management, taking on additional overhead in order to make something happen. So it's it's going to be more expensive to build right now. But yeah, I'm yeah. getting that feedback from all around our county is that it's incredibly difficult to get whether you need electrician, plumber, roofer, HVAC, any one of the tradesmen um, or a contractor to build a home that they're they're booked out for months. And if you can get them out, they're expensive because yeah. they're so booked out. Yeah, they were really hoping they had it in their mind that they could build this home for about $200 a square foot. And they got a contractor that said he didn't even have time to give him a bid. They got another guy came in at $300 a square foot. Um, you know, and we're talking a flat lot. Um, you know, I, it, not a, I mean, it's a 1900 square foot home. I, I don't know what kind of finishes we're talking about, but I, I don't think we're talking gold plated floors or anything like crazy like that. So just, uh, yeah. Interesting to hear the the local stories about what what's going on. It sounds like builders are busy right now. Well, they're busy, but too, you know, I, I'll tell you just kind of about my sphere, my friend's sphere. You know, my dad's a builder. My father-in-law's a builder. He grew up in the in a very, very much a blue-collar family and sphere of influence. So I I feel attached to that crowd, right? A lot of these guys that were, um, and even people from my peer group that um, after high school went into the trades, like I had a friend whose dad owned a grading company. So they did um, grading for home tracks and that, you know, if you're going in and first you're kind of trenching for utilities and you're, you know, doing footings and foundations and these kind of things. But then uh, there's also some finished landscaping grading and things like that. Um, but also plumbers. I have a, a friend who they own a pretty big new construction plumbing company down in Southern California, um, a, an electrical company too. Uh, anyway, a lot of these guys were forced to go seek employment in other fields during the recession. So part of what you have right now, like for example, one of my buddies that worked for a grading firm and drove a truck too, he was a um, a class A driver for one of the big heavy equipment trucks. He's got a job at the gas company. And you know what? He's a, um, a driver, class A driver at the gas company. He's been working at the gas company now for seven years. He's got good benefits. He's a, on track for a, a pension um, and is finally making decent money, probably about what he was making in the trades back then. So that's another part of it too is that a lot of these trades guys got cut so deep they were forced to look into other things during this recession where we weren't building. You weren't, mm -hmm. you know, even if you had that that lot, that flat, nice lot where you're looking for simple construction, 
Those people didn't have the money or the confidence or ability to even build during that period. So a lot of these people were first forced to go look outside and do other things. The ones that didn't, of course, they're they're the ones that are so busy today. They're, they've got plenty of work on their plate because they're the remaining few that are in it. Um, and if anything, you know, I I also want to encourage any other people like young people or parents of high school age kids and things like this where you're thinking about what to do, you know? I'm going through this with my son who's starting his sophomore year of high school. What should I be when I grow up? Ain't nothing wrong with considering the trades, son. There's a lot of work there. Um, Some of it really good paying work under heavy demand. Um, And there seems to be a real shortage in that, I, I think, everywhere from what I can tell. Well, and so we were telling you, you know, how how busy all the local contractors are. The national housing starts number is noticing a declining trend all year long. So maybe it's uh, maybe the rest of the country isn't experiencing what we're seeing here. Trying to cut through and understand that a little bit. Yeah, right. I mean, real estate's local, isn't it? So mm-hmm. building is local. Um, but at the same time, too, I'm trying to couple a couple of these headlines and trends that we've been uh, reading about over the years here on Mortgage Matters. One is builders got going on building um, when they came back out of the recession. New construction homes are bigger than ever. So they've not exactly been building entry-level housing. They've been building more expensive homes and building bigger homes. And and I, that's a national trend, too, by the way. And so I wonder if there's something to do with that there, too, is that so much of the energy has been put into building the move-up home and planning that mover home, that bigger, the bigger, nicer, better home that um, maybe there needs to be a little bit of retooling where these numbers are just showing the fact that what we need is more entry-level housing, more affordable housing, more workforce housing, not building the, you know, the I think the average stat, last time I saw it, the, the new construction average size was like a 2,500 square foot home. That's a big home. Yeah. Most of the first-time home buyers in California, anyway, are looking at homes that are fourteen to seventeen hundred square feet. You you can't afford, you know. In, in most of our county, we're running out of time here. We can't pull the stat up, but from the hip, what would you suggest the average price per square foot is in Slow County? Uh, Three hundred bucks a foot? I think it's more than that. I want to say closer to four hundred. Okay, it's expensive. And you're, you're a little bit skewed because you're in Morro Bay. So yeah, but seeing, I'm trying to think about the county number. You're seeing homes in Morro Bay that can be six or 700 bucks a square foot. Yeah, sometimes. In Atascadero, from what I see, you know, in Atascadero is, I think, kind of still a bedroom community, right? But we're quick and dirty. 300 bucks a square foot is about the cheapest that you're going to find anymore. In San Luis, it's not uncommon to see $450, $500 a square foot around here. So again, you're if you're building bigger, and, and this is a trend that's happening nationally, that, that's getting unaffordable. And maybe that's why these starts and building numbers are going down a little bit. Um, we're running out of time here on the show. I wanted to um, just take a couple minutes to let you guys know uh, throughout the show today, I mentioned several times that interest rates are um, at the 2017 lows. We're helping people by getting rid of their mortgage insurance. We're helping people by paying off adjustable rate loans and lines of credit. 
Um, we're helping people by refinancing into shorter terms where they can pay their homes off faster. Uh, if you think that there's any opportunity there for you, um, at least give us a call. Let's have a checkup. Uh, we're not a hard sell company. Uh, we're just really focused on facilitating a, an analysis of the numbers and logic to decide whether or not it makes sense for you. So if you want to do that, check us out. Uh, you can go get a pretty good idea what we're all about on our website, centralcoastlending.com. But there really isn't anything better you could do than to call us at 543-LOAN. 543-5626 and uh, let's schedule a meeting and, and figure out what we can do for you. Thanks so much for being with us here today. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters and we hope you will too. Have a great week, everyone. This is KVEC San Luis Obispo. News Talk 920 and FM 96.5. It's 11 o'clock. ABC News. I'm Daria Albinger. A free speech rally in Boston is supposed to conclude at this hour, but as ABC's Nicole Estefan tells us, it ended early. There are folks in this crowd throwing bottles of something at police vehicles right now. People surrounding them as soon as that happens, booing them as well. A lot of people from all islands, but there, there is a, uh, a good number of five or six people in front of me throwing things at those vehicles. Organizers said the event was to promote the First Amendment, but some in the crowd had another agenda. This woman was among the counter-protesters outside the barricades. They didn't know what to do except for leave. It was beautiful. I'm glad I came out. Police say they responded to a few minor scuffles, but they say the situation is still tense. The rallies in Boston are being held a week to the day after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, that ended with deadly violence. Today, Lieutenant Jay Cullen, the pilot of a state police helicopter that crashed, responding to the situation was laid to rest. He was rare. He was one of a kind. He was a leader. And we are all so proud of him. And he will be so sorely missed. Governor Terry McAuliffe says Cullen flew him and his family all over the state. A suspect in Kissimmee, Florida, is under arrest, accused of murdering a police officer and wounding another. Under stable uh, condition. But I would expect, obviously, uh, you know, a long road back for, for both of them. So we would ask the, uh, the community, keep them in your prayers. Chief Jeff O'Dell says they do not expect to make any other arrests. Police in Prince George's County, Maryland, say a babysitter is in custody. He's accused in the deaths of three girls earlier this week. Memorials are taking shape along Barcelona's Las Romblas pedestrian district, site of this week's deadly attack, the King and Queen of Spain, among the visitors today. You're listening to ABC News. What makes one business rise above? Why do some grow while others simply maintain? Time after time, consistently successful businesses work smart. And when smart businesses need to hire, they do it on the job site that is the proven leader, Indeed.com. According to an independent study, Indeed delivers five times more hires than any other job site, more hires than the rest combined. Businesses that work smart choose partners that have proven track records. It's no wonder the three million businesses choose Indeed. To make it even better,